1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks on today's show, we are pleased to have with us co-founder of the Audit Club, Chris Vanover.
2: Ron, how's it going? Going great, Ed. I'm really looking forward to this. Chris has got something really innovative here.
1: I know. Super fun conversation that we're going to have with Chris today. Let me give the the read-in so we can get him on the show as quickly as possible. Uh, Chris Vanover is a certified public accountant with over two decades of unique public accounting experiences, including distinctive auditing. I like that. Regulatory and educational roles with international and regional firms, the Public Accounting Oversight Board, which is, of course, my favorite acronym, Peekaboo, and multiple universities. Chris currently serves as the, on the leadership team of the, as the chief auditor, auditor for the Audit Club. And when teaching within firms and universities, Chris draws on his collective experiences at an audit partner with responsibility for quality control, as well as a combined 13 years with PwC. Since 2010, Chris has served as an adjunct professor at the University of Southern California University of California, Irvine, California State University, Fullerton, and Chapman University. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Chris Vanover. Thanks so much, Ed. Excited to be here and appreciate the honor of having me on. Well, we are very excited to have you on. You are clearly one of the pioneers in the industry for lots of reasons, including your subscription pricing model. But first I want to introduce our audience to what you're doing at the Audit Club. So tell them uh, what the Audit Club is and then perhaps a bit of the origin of of it.
3: Yeah, so Audit Club, in effect, is a audit service center for CPA firms. So we are an actual licensed accountancy corporation. We are registered with the PCAOB, but Audit Club itself doesn't actually do its own audits or reviews or even compilations. It simply serves as a service center to help CPA firms get all their audits and that stuff done. So the origins actually go back a couple of years. I ultimately spent, like you said, a few years, uh, 13 years at PwC. I spent a few years at the public company accounting oversight board, was an audit partner overseeing quality control, was an educator. And, you know, it really dawned upon me when I was at a regional firm that a lot of these local and regional firms, you know, ultimately they need access to talent that I had, to talent that my partners had, to talent that our employees had. But they didn't necessarily need to own the access. They just needed to have the access. And so that really was the impetus behind, you know, creating Audit Club was to give them the opportunity to actually engage with and subscribe to a company that was a licensed CPA firm where they could trust and ultimately get their
1: stuff done. So is it effectively fractional auditors? Is that one way to think about it?
3: Exactly. Fractional auditors, auditors as a service type model.
1: Okay. And are they are actually doing the audits or are they, they more doing advisory work to auditors or a combination of both?
3: It's both. So initially, our go to market strategy was to establish relationships with managing partners, audit partners in charge at different firms, and really help them with things like, hey, they were going through remediation with the PCAOB because they had quality control criticisms, or, hey, maybe they needed some help with a peer review from the AICPA perspective, technical consultations, all that sort of stuff. So that was our initial foray into the market. And inevitably, we started to deliver those solutions to them. And they started to ask, well, what more could you guys do? Um, and so we said, okay, you know, we get calls from firms out in Tennessee, uh, the East coast, wherever it might be. And they say, look, we just lost our audit partner our audit director our audit manager. I'm actually a tax partner and I have to somehow sign these reports and I no longer have the individuals that can really help me do that. And I can't find the talent in my local market, which has only been exacerbated over the past couple of years with the talent crisis. And so we said, okay, let's start actually helping you just review work papers provide coaching to your seniors and staff and help them to develop into better auditors and better professionals. So it kind of now spans the gamut. And then actually just earlier this week, we introduced the new Audit Club Crew Passes, which is actually kind of that senior associate, traditional associate level work of just executing the procedures in spite of the ability to still review things at that chief auditor level as well. So really a full service solution for these firms now.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the the pricing model. But uh, be- before we get there, when did you guys start the Audit Club? When was it launched? Yeah, so Audit,
3: we initially went to market under a different name back in about 2019. Um, and then in t- 2022, we rebranded as Audit Club.
1: Okay, so Audit Club is is as of 2022. And talk about the evolution of the pricing model. How did it start out in 2019? Yeah. And where, where are you well, today?
3: I love that you asked the question, Ed. And it's one of those things that, you know, I I go... Without you guys, I'm not sure I'd be where we are today. Um, but we started out with a subscription offering back then, and obviously went to market with it and it was so frustrating because the feedback we constantly got. Imagine this was, I don't understand it. And secondly, what's your rate per hour and how many hours am I getting? And I would just roll my eyes every time I heard that. But as a, you know, a new business, just trying to basically survive. We all, unfortunately we acquiesced and we said, okay, fine. But we're going to do it with you know contractual language and say hey it's 120 hours per quarter here's our rate per hour kind of that volume-based pricing the more hours you buy the cheaper the rate all that garbage right and um, you know what would happen inevitably is you know i was inspired from the help you know i personally delivered when i was in the chief auditor role at pwc inspired by helping others in the education side and these firms would ultimately you know by these hours and as much as we tried to contractually restrict them and say hey it's 120 hours per quarter you know 40 hours per month they would ultimately say well it's now march i haven't used any of my hours now now service us and i'd be like oh great now i've got 15 firms that all want my hours at the same exact moment in time and i said i mean this is terrible and this is not sustainable if this is what's how it's going to be like i might as well go back to being an audit partner in a big four firm and pull in $900,000 a year and live a nice life. Um, so that's really what dawned on me. I was like, there has to be a better way of doing this. And the ironic thing is, is, you know, a lot of the inspiration came from just places I would visit with my family. So we'd go to Disneyland with our kids and I'd go, you know, when I was a kid, I remember going to Disneyland. I grew up in Anaheim and right down the right down the street from Disneyland. And we'd go maybe once a year, once every couple of years, right? And when we go there, I remember literally standing in line at Splash Mountain for two or three hours going, I mean, I'm miserable. This is before, you know, iPhones, cell phones, all that sort of stuff. You just talk to people in line, right? I'm sure you guys remember those times.
1: Disney said, lines.
3: Now I, yeah, exactly. Then now we take our kids there last year, you know, last January. And not only can I buy an annual pass, but I can also now buy a lightning lane that allows me to get guaranteed access to the ride within a certain window of time. And I was like, okay, this is a much better experience now because of that creativity they've ingested into the process. And so that actually formed a lot of the inspiration behind actually developing these passes for Club.
1: Okay, so it was interesting that you used the pass model. But um, what what happened when you switched over from the billable hours? You said, nope, we're not doing that anymore. Did you lose people? Yeah, so... You know, I will say when we switched over, we obviously,
3: any new customers, new members that became joint audit club were all under the new program. Okay? And that was effective last summer. We had some, you know, legacy CPA firms that were still under existing contracts that we allowed them to kind of bleed out if they wanted to, or we gave them an incentive to convert over. So everyone at this point in time is now in the official audit club model. And uh, we are not looking back by any means, that's for sure.
1: I love the, fr- I love extreme, the phrase, use the phrase bleed out. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, well, it's true. I mean, I couldn't wait to get out of some of these contracts. And, you know, you guys brought it up when we talked probably last summer or spring. And you said, I think Ron said, you know, you would pay somebody to go away. I was like, you're absolutely right. Right. It's that concept of being on an airline and going, hey, I bought the seat by the lavatory and I'm not in first class. Well, why am I servicing the customer that's sitting next to the lavatory when I should be servicing the customers that are sitting in first class?
1: Yeah. Well, before we uh, came on the air, I, I, and I just want to talk about this a little bit with you. You said that you're having um, a, a, an easier time finding talent for your firm. And this is the exact opposite experience that I'm hearing from every other CPA that I'm talking to. Yeah. So talk a well, little bit yeah. about that.
3: Lo- love the question. And uh, it's something that I'm really passionate about. Again, our mission is to improve accounting and auditing, bar none. Okay. So we first started with the quality, right? We went out to market and said, hey, let's get into these work papers. We know these firms and you've seen it, we've talked about it, you know, FTX, all those sort of things. They're not doing what they should be doing based on the standards. So how do we help improve what they do? And that's exactly what we do. We give them peace of mind. We give them that convenience, right? Well, the flip side of it is that's mission one is the quality for these CPA firms and organizations. Step two and part two of this is how do we improve the people experience, right? And so by moving into this access-based model, Right. What we we're able to do is control and put guardrails in place to when firms could actually access our people. And so, in doing that, we actually were able to pivot to a 32 to 36 hour, four day work week. Okay, um, and that's been eye opening because people don't believe it, and it's year round, right? So people are like, well, you must be busy. It's busy season. Actually, no. We're just working our normal hours throughout the week because we control access to our team and our knowledge ultimately.
1: And, and, and so, so people but, are
3: looking at us going, hey, you know, they're, they're seeing these postings going, hey, 32 to 36 hour work week, you know, lifestyle benefits, just totally trying to reimagine what a firm should look like right now.
1: Right. So you're able to attract the top talent in the, in the industry when other people are completely unable to get anybody.
3: Yeah. And again, I mean, we're a relatively small firm, but that yeah. being said, we're trying not to get out of our skis. But I'm very proud of the fact that every offer we put out at this point has been accepted.
1: (laughs) But that's, that's outstanding. And obviously, no timesheets. No timesheets.
3: I will say there's (laughs) one caveat to that is when we do have kind of part-time individuals, because we actually spun up uh, what we call our Audit Club Academy, um, Mm. actually back in November. And the Audit Club Academy is also designed to tackle the problem of the pipeline issue, right? There's not enough people going into the profession. So we actually have created a roadmap, a five-year program where we're actually hiring school juniors and high school seniors that are in local business magnet programs okay and these kids have already taken one or two accounting classes so they're these guys are light years ahead of where i was when i was in college okay and we put them on a roadmap and we say you're treated just like we call them a cadet almost like a naval academy or an air force academy they come in and they have a very deliberate roadmap along with their education and what's nice about this is at the end of four or five years not only do they have um, you know, we'll support them through the CPA exam. We're going to give them training that traditionally an associate or senior associate would get, they're going to have the education done. They're going to have sat for the CPA exam, and now they're going to have the equivalent of one year experience that actually qualifies them to be a CPA, at least in the state of California on day one. And so we can accelerate their career path and not necessarily bring them in as traditional associate, but we bring them in as a senior crew with a higher pay level, so total win. But those are our part-time individuals right now, they're, they're in school. So we have to have them record their hours.
1: Okay. (laughs) well, they're recording their hours, but they're not necessarily doing a timesheet per se. It's just recording of hours because they're hourly employees. That's just the, you know. Exactly. All right. Wow. Well, Chris, this is just absolutely fantastic. And it's flying by as it usually does when we have such a great guest as such as yourself on. But we're up against our break. Want to remind folks that they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to AskTSOE at Verisage.com. The website is TheSoulOfEnterprise.com, where you can see show notes, as well as previews to upcoming shows we are also sponsored by our patreon channel patreon.com tsoe where you can get our, our show commercial free without interruption as well as our bonus episodes at a certain level you can get a shout out like blake oliver from earmark cpe did contact him at earmarkcpe.com right now a word from our sponsor Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too.
0: We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Well, welcome back everybody we're here with chris Vanover from audit club and chris what made you want to switch to a subscription type model i mean i know you were doing hourly billing before you obviously didn't like that but what why was subscription so attractive to you
3: yeah and again love the question um and this is one that's probably pretty easy to answer but At PwC, everything was equated to how many hours you charged, ultimately, what your realization was, all those really unimportant metrics, right? And so I always found myself, the one time I was like at PwC and went, wow, this is actually kind of interesting. was way back in 2008, I was an audit manager, and PwC at the time released something called a value report. And we actually had to fill it out and actually send it to the client at the end of the audit engagement. And that was the one time where we actually can sit back and go, hey, what contributions am i actually making? In a day-to-day basis, it was just a matter of, hey, I charged two hours for this, half hour for that, four hours for this. It had no bearing in terms of the actual value that we were delivering. So the subscription model was really appealing because our team could get out of focusing on, hey, I spent 15 minutes with them or a half hour with them and actually focusing on what solutions did you deliver for a particular firm today, right? And so we actually have our employees basically create a daily solution scorecard for some of our CPA member firms. And within it, it just goes through it and says, hey, what did we do for you guys today? And why was that valuable? Now that compares and contrasts to, I used to be every single month running QuickBook timesheet reports and sending those to CPA firms and saying, here are your hours and here's what you have left. I still get those requests. And it is one of those things that it's, it's so liberating to be out of that mousetrap of just charging hours and actually saying here's what i've done for you to actually help elevate you and transform your firm today
2: that is so neat you know you've done something else too then i think this is one of the difficult challenges for firms that are trying to go from hourly to subscription or even from value pricing to subscription you know with hourly of course we're trading hours for for dollars But even to some extent with value pricing, if you look at the way it's been implemented in firms, they're trading services for dollars. Because if you look at the way they tier their pricing, it's all based on scope of work. The higher the tier price, the more things, the more services they'll perform. But that's as big of a treadmill, I think, as hourly billing. And this is what appeals to me about subscription is subscription is more about the transformation like your Roomba, you were yeah. saying at the break, you subscribe to a vacuum cleaner like Ed has. You're, you're subscribing to clean floors. You're not subscribing to the number of times it vacuums or, or any of that. So explain your philosophy with how you tiered your pricing because I think it's really innovative.
3: Yeah, so it's one of those things that, you know, we've really kind of toyed with it for a long time now and trying to figure out what is that optimal pricing strategy with respect to Audit Club. Um, the way we went to market from this perspective was to say, look, you can access our team. And as long as we have the knowledge and can do it with due professional care, we'll do it for you guys, okay? I don't care if it's an accounting and auditing area. I don't care if it's a quality control or quality management firm level solution you need. I don't care if it's a regulatory issue from the PCAOB or the AICPA us to navigate you through, or if you need our help with training, right? It is all part of their contract, okay? And they have access to all those types of solutions. It's up to them and us to connect with them and have that concierge mindset to say, hey, how can we help you guys today, right? That's really, you know, the dawn of this subscription model and our pricing strategy was, let's just make it, you have access to us. And if we have the knowledge, we'll do it for you. And that's that, and you know, insurance philosophy, right, that you guys have talked about is we're just gonna get it done, right? And where else can they go right now to actually get access to an entire team of auditors on demand, okay? And have peace of mind and convenience to be able to opt in. You know, right now it's basically monthly type passes. We'll eventually move into a weekly program because the market says, hey, firms can't react quick enough and they can't plan well enough for a month month pass. They need even more flexibility. They need less friction. And so we're iterating that, and we'll announce those likely next week. Saying, "Hey, we're moving into weekly subscription passes, and you have the flexibility to choose when you want to opt in, when you want to opt out, when you want to pause it. Totally up to you. But where, where can you do that right now? You can't.
2: Wow, you've really surfaced simplicity and just frictionless and convenient peace of mind. You're there; they know you're there. They you, you, they can rely on you. You know, I'm reminded Ed did a panel discussion. And somebody brought up, you know, the dreaded term, all you can eat, you know, we will do anything that we're, that we're capable of doing that you need done. And somebody objected and said, that sounds exhausting and unprofitable. How would you respond to that?
3: Yeah. And I will say, this is one area we really did struggle with initially last summer and spring, because we wanted to put caps on things and say, look, you're going to allow us to have certain number of reservations per month and that's kind of the current model right now and what we've found is that's created complexity it's created friction actually right it's created more administrative burden okay so now I'm like you know what let's kind of just go back to the drawing board a little bit and enhance these passes and make them more of that unlimited all you can eat concept now we can, can we know that our people are here 32 to 36 hours a week okay and we're going to be committed to maintaining that lifestyle for them so there's only a certain amount of capacity one has but that's no different than Disneyland. Disneyland will never tell you what its capacity is, and there's going to be some days where the lines are just longer, and there's going to be some days when you're going to be first in line. But we've also included the new in our next week. The feature will be an A lane that'll give you priority access. Right, it'll give you extra Audit Club access on Mondays. Right, so you're plusing the offering and allowing people to make that decision. What do they want to pay for? Do they want? To sit by the laboratory or do they want first-class service?
2: That's awesome. Because what, what I love about this is you're really honing in on what the customer's buying. It's not so much the services, it's the access. It's the on-demand when they need you. And you're capturing that value.
3: Yeah. And what I will say is, again, our the one we used over the last six months or so, it was using kind of technology through a scheduling system to manage the access And, you know, client CPA firms were having difficulty navigating through that, no matter how easy it was. And it it forced us to go, look, this feels more like it's a transaction, but we have a really unique opportunity to actually have their voice every single day. So throw that out the window and let's just actually schedule this automatically for them. And they're going to see it on their calendar, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock called Audit Club Connect. And we're just going to chat with these guys and say, hey, what can we do for you guys today? how can we help you if you can't join just decline it no big deal okay but if you want to use it great and then we're going to get to work through our audit club access and we're just going to focus on doing what we can in the capacity constraints that we have to deliver solutions for you guys
2: what kind of kpis do you look at
3: yeah so kpis is interesting because uh, when i was at the pcob and i'll give credit here to a good friend of mine a former colleague of mine bob conway Uh, I don't know if you know who Bob Conway is, but he is actually a uh, a retired KPMG partner, audit partner. He was a former regional director at the PCAOB, and uh, he was actually the genesis behind audit quality indicators Uh, when they submitted a, a recommendation to the Treasury Department back in 2008 on how to improve the accounting and auditing profession. Bob was the retired partner that said, hey, let's do things differently, right? pilots have safe zones of operation, right? All these alerts go off if something goes awry. Those are the same things that we look at in order to manage our practice is, hey, what's the actual, in this case, maybe a staff to partner leverage ratio? Okay, that's a really important metric for us. We need to be involved with our people. We need to be actively upfront coaching. Do we have milestones that we can meet along the way to know that our senior leadership is involved with these engagements at CPA firms? Okay. Um, you know, training hours, how much training am I giving to my people? I don't expect somebody to go out there. You know, this is what's so frustrating about the, the large firms is people are on a quest to be the most chargeable, the most utilized. It's not good to be hundred percent chargeable. You gotta be 110%, 120%. And it's like, no, that's not right. So we purposely limit and these new passes will limit the access to Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays because Mondays we need to better ourselves. Right? We need to spend the time doing CP to prep for these things. We need that preparation time to make ourselves better professionals so that we can perform at a higher level for the firm. Wow. So, so, so those are some of the KPIs we look at ultimately.
2: So you're kind of are doing their the
3: vacation, all that sort of stuff.
2: You're kind of doing the Google 20% time.
3: Absolutely. Yep.
2: That's wild. Lock
3: it out. Let people have that focus time.
2: Chris, what other things have you learned operating under the subscription business model in terms of like customer relationships and just your overall philosophy and just, you know, maybe your sanity and anxiety of you and your team, what other lessons could you convey?
3: Yeah, I think people appreciate convenience. People appreciate simplicity. Uh, You can't over-engineer the model. And, and I think we were probably a little bit guilty of that initially, was we tried to put too many constraints, too many parameters. And at the end of the day, you just have to trust that you're in this business of delivering outcomes to people and helping people. And if you, just like the concierge doctors, right? Get out of the mindset of the administrative burdens and just focus on the customer and focus on the member. Everything else will play its way out just fine. And so I don't worry about those types of things because I know, you know, If we're our competitor in my mind is the existing audit partner, the existing senior manager, the manager on that team already, can we outperform them? And I'll guarantee you our people with their value reports and their solutions reports, they're showing that partner and that manager, that there's nobody else they'd rather
2: have on their team. Right. So you're beating the internal competition. In other words, they'd rather have you than their own people sometimes.
3: Absolutely. And they can turn us on, they can turn us off when
2: they want. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Um, Let me ask you this. One of the uh, obstacles I'm facing trying to get uh, firms to do subscriptions, especially firms that do a test services, is the ICPA tells me it impairs independence. What's your take? Yeah.
3: And this is, um, you know, we've got some exciting things in the works for audit club in 2023, that we've been piloting in the background. And, uh, I will say, I, I I can appreciate the fact that CPA firm clients don't understand the role that they have in creating a successful outcome. And too often the CPA firm ends up being the victim of that. Right. And so what I mean by that is clients are really the raw materials behind producing an audit. And oftentimes, they don't get those raw materials to the CPA firm in time. And it becomes a very slippery slope that they can't get out of from an independence perspective. So that's one element from an independence perspective, you know, you can offer a subscription service in the auditing world based on access again, to your knowledge. You do have to put some guardrails in place that say, look, here's things that we can't touch based on the independence from the SEC, the PCOB or the AI CPA. But as long as we navigate and understand those upfront you should be able to run a subscription audit concept out there in practice. I will say one of the other things we're looking forward to is I think we're almost there, hopefully I've heard this for a long time, around that real-time auditing concept. And that's really, I think the bigger bet for us is how do we insert ourselves into that real-time auditing world so that things can become a more valuable deliverable, right? Audits are too reactive and irrelevant because they're done too far after the fact.
2: Right. Wow. Well, maybe I, get, I need to get you in front of some people at the AICPA who have told me <laughs> just flat out that you cannot have subscription if you're doing audit because it would, it would you like, know, the, 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 the look is it would impair independence. But anyway, Chris, this is great. It's flying by. Folks, we'd like to remind you if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at varisage.com. Do check out our Patreon channel where you can subscribe to us, get bonus episodes and more. And that's at patreon.com slash TSOE, which is now sponsored by 90 Minds. Get ahead, hire a mind, and check them out at 90minds.com. And now, a word from our sponsors.
0: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play
4: Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise talking to Chris Vanover
1: from the Audit Club. And, Chris, Let's have a little fun and talk a little baseball, okay, oh, yeah. please <laughs> well, sort of sort of sort of baseball. Uh, you have an article that was recently published at CPA Practice Advisor, and the, the title is "The Parallel Problems of Public Accounting and Major League Baseball." This was inspired after you read Joe Madden's book, which I have not had a chance to read yet, The Book of Joe with Tom Verducci. I do love Tom Verducci's work. I'm sure that was more yeah. him than him than Joe, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, since we are 25 days from pitchers and catchers reporting, um, let's, let's talk about what, what, did, what did you find of the similarities between public accounting and, and the MLB?
3: Yeah, it's one of those. And I've been a lifelong baseball fan. Like I said, I grew up in Anaheim. I remember starting to follow the angels back in 1986 when I was a second grade boy. Um, and they went to the playoffs that year. They lost to the Boston Red Sox in game five of the ALCS and then lost game six and seven in Boston. And I cried my eyes out in my parents' master bathroom. Um, and I went to the 2002 game seven of the world series and I was a new associate at PwC at the time. And I spent, I think $600 or so on two field level tickets for game seven. And I thought, man, I just started PwC. I'm making 40 K I'm going to go broke with these playoff tickets (laughs) and never looked back on that one. Either. That was one of my treasured moments in life. And I'm Getting to that kind of stuff with my own son, who's you know seven years old as well now, so yeah, um, a lot of fun. But you know, it's one of those things where I have a passion for baseball. We have you know a box there at Angel Stadium that we have about ten games a year we go to, and we've always enjoyed it. But it's clear that there's you know an inflection point happening right now with Major League Baseball, where they're struggling from a demographic perspective. Right, most people that follow baseball are a little bit older. Right, they're not necessarily the youth of America anymore. So there's a demographics problem, and that demographics problem is no different than what you see right now in the CPA firms, where 75% of CPAs, I I think, at the retirement age as of 2020, right? Well, what is the CPA going to be doing about that one, right? That's their membership base, okay? And it's the same thing with the fans of baseball, right? Are they getting enough life into the game to attract the people into the profession? So you're seeing that parallel right there. You you know, commodity pricing, right? I know everything, maybe that's a little bit opposite there, but audits are a commodity. There's no differentiation of the services. So naturally you can go to 15 different CPA firm websites. They all look, feel, and smell the same. And that's really unfortunate, right? So it's no different than a Dodger dog and a hot dog at Angel Stadium. They're still going to taste like a hot dog. They all look like a hot dog, right? You think about the hours, right? Minor league baseball players make... Garbage in terms of money, right? And so all of us at the associate, senior associate level, manager level, making anywhere from nowadays probably sixty to one hundred twenty thousand dollars, we're waiting for that payoff to happen at year fifteen, year twenty, where we can finally enjoy the average six hundred thousand dollar partner income, right? Well, why is so much of that at the top level and not and when you know eighty percent of the work's being done by people with one to three years of experience? And yet the partners are reaping the rewards of that, late, of that effort. No different than major league veterans who don't produce anymore, right? The Angels have had a number of bad signings over the years for veterans at the tail end of their career, making million, multi-million dollar contracts that do nothing for them, right? I'd mm-hmm. say so the last thing is there's no mission really for a lot of these firms. People don't know are, you know, are they guarding in the capital markets? We have a very noble profession that people should be proud to be a part of. And I think people lose sight of that because they're just caught up in the grind of trying to get all this stuff done. And so they start just checking boxes and not really realizing about the value. So there's so much stuff out there, you know, the technology side of it as well as a big one, but there's a lot of parallels between these two camps. And it's just really interesting to see how do they evolve? And at some point in time, somebody's going to have to come along and disrupt this space.
1: Yep. Well, and talk a little bit about that technology solution. Perhaps uh, we, we can we, we can uh, we can chat a little bit later about what we, whether or not the automatic uh, umpire is a good idea or not. I have my opinion on it. But <laughs> how, how how is the automatic umpire also the equivalent of of uh, of, of automated workpapers?
3: Yeah. So we have a, a good partnership with the guys from a company called Audit Site. Uh, TC Whitaker um, out there being the CEO of that, and um, Jonathan Womack. And what's interesting about their technology, former PwC guys, and they have developed, in my opinion, is a game-changing technology that a lot of firms should be using, but because they're so caught up in the day-to-day grind, they can't even come up for air to even hear a pitch about it, right? And that's a problem. And it literally, I mean, we, we use it to help facilitate our audit service center. The firms don't care how the work gets done, they just want it to get done, right? So we're actually leveraging their technology, which is using bank data extraction technology it's using, they're tapping into the accounting systems, you know, QuickBooks, Xero, whatever it is, and matching transactions and creating a reperformable workpaper work paper that literally requires very little oversight or intervention by an actual senior level auditor. So it's game-changing technology and we're, we're you know, kind of running lockstep with those guys. As they develop, we'll introduce, you know, more feature, more, more services for us to be able to do that. But that's one of those things that it's just like, guys, there's, you shouldn't be operating how you did 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, so so true. Uh, the, the interesting thing with um, I, I think from an from an auto perspective too. And and by the way, Sage is uh, we announced. I don't know if you saw this two weeks ago. We are now the official sponsor of Major League Baseball's uh, pitching statistics. So, you <laughs> so you okay. will you, on on uh, MLB games uh, as well as uh, some of the the nationally televised games. Uh, Sage is going to be featured. Uh, Preval, prevalently in like pitching changes and pitch awesome. selection. So, yeah. So, we're, we're, and that's the thing.
3: That. Is there's, there's so much data in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much data in accounting, but you know, they're starting to use it in baseball and you see people thrive with those statistics and stuff. But you don't see that same use of data in accounting yet from an auditing perspective. And that's really unfortunate.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I want to, uh, and, and this is one thing I picked up on. In fact, I, I wrote a a, uh, a sidebar in in Ron's book um, Measure What Matters about uh, on base percentage and wins above replacement um, as being the, the the right statistic. So talk a little bit about the parallels there. Like they're they're looking at the wrong, they're looking at the wrong numbers.
3: Yeah, I mean, again, going back to the whole concept that's so broken. They're looking at chargeable hours. They're looking at realization. They're looking at utilization. That's the only thing that they're measuring at these firms. There are some people metrics that they might introduce, but again, that stuff at the end of the day, doesn't matter to the client. They don't care about that. They don't care how long it took somebody to do something. They just wanna know, is my audit done? Is it done based on the standards? Did I get a passing grade or not? And how much am I paying for this? That's it.
2: hmm
3: Yep. Um, so you, and- you gotta throw those metrics out because they just don't matter anymore.
1: Well, and, and and talk about the, the a little bit about the baseball side, they, right? Oh, you, people used to look at, at the big three, which was, you know, home runs, RBIs, and, yeah. and, and batting average. And, we, yeah. since and it still defines the triple G- crown, right? Right, right. It still defines the triple crown, right. which is kind of neat. But wh- wh- why was it replaced by on-base percentage and, and more?
3: Well, because those statistics actually show that they matter, right? They're relevant, right? It's actually about you know the effectiveness of your baseball team, ultimately, as opposed mm-hmm. to an individual. So if you think about you know those baseball players, and I go back, there was you know probably ten years ago when Mike Trout was coming up and uh, Miguel Cabrera ran a race for the MVP, right? And, and and Miguel Cabrera was a triple crown winner that year. But if you looked at the actual metrics around OPS and the things that actually are you know more advanced metrics in baseball, wins above replacement, the WAR metrics, Mike Trout had that guy just off the charts. And yet, mm-hmm. who won the MVP that year? Traditionalists sided with. Miguel Cabrera. So it's one of those where you start to see that evolution of how people evaluate things. And I think that's where firms just need to start having those brainstorming discussions about are we really measuring what actually matters at the end of the day?
1: So that's what I want to get to. So what's what's the wins above replacement for for the CPA? Is it you know revenue above replacement? What's the (laughs) what's the
3: the... Well, well I think for any CPA firm, if they're if they do not have quality as the foremost objective and metric that they're evaluating on, then they shouldn't be in this profession in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing just over and over again. I mean, going back to the days of the Enrons and the WorldComs, we've all heard about. Now FTX. you're seeing the exact same cycle through FTX, <laughs> exactly right. Where where were the auditors, right? And it goes back to the fact that. You have to have KPIs that give you insights in terms of where there potentially could be a bust when it comes to audit quality. So this is where I go back to, you know, Bob Conway and kind of, you know, when I was at the PCOB, I I made a career there for almost three years, drafting up a briefing paper on audit quality indicators. Those are the things that you have to measure because your your, your deliverable is an audit report right? That you want to make sure there's no misstatements, material misstatements. There's no material weaknesses, or if there are that you've reported on that. Well, you need to have insight in terms of the human capital because the human capital is the input to the process that creates the output. So audit quality, we're typically measuring on the backside with, Hey, have you had any restatements? Did you miss any material weaknesses? Do you have any PCOB inspection findings, right? That's all on the backside and that's fine, but that's no different than ours, right? Well, I see you charge 200 hours on this job. You're only supposed to charge 150. Now go bill your client for the overrun. That's too late in the game to figure that out. And that's the other advantage of subscription pricing is you do all at the front end and they know exactly what their investment is and what they're paying, okay? So if you move that to the input side, you can measure these things that actually matter in terms of the human capital that's so critical to audit quality, right? Going back to partner staff leverage ratios, training hours per professional. Those are the things that will actually tell you whether you're going to get a good audit, and firms should, in theory, be competing on those types of things, and not just, "Hey, what's the price, and who can I, you know, ultimately, who can I get the best price from?" So that's the I have fundamental a, flaw right now with public accounting.
1: Yeah, no, no this is because because i always the, the way I've I've thought of quality, and this is based on Philip Crosby's work way back in the '80s. You know, quality is conformance to a requirement, not goodness. You know, people think it's, it, it's so, and what's the requirement? And that's usually the, the place where people fall down on quality is saying, well, it, it's a subjective judgment. No, it's subjective judgment against the standard. You've got to put the standard out there as to what it's going to be judged against. So, and that's what you're talking about with some of these metrics, right? Absolutely.
3: Yeah, it's the input side of it that you've got to manage. And you've, you know, the, the large, and Bob Conley has said, he's got actually a comment letter out there with the PCOB because the PCOB has a new quality, proposed quality control standard coming out of the pipeline. And they want comments and you know one of bob's points on there is that there is a terrible mismanagement of human capital in these public accounting firms both on a workload perspective and an experience perspective right, right. and the aicpa and the pcob are not willing to actually go ruffle feathers yeah because quality- why, this- see- why, why does the pcob find what they find in terms of their failure rates it's because they have the time to focus mm-hmm. on this, they have this experience. All that sort of stuff plays right into
1: their sweet spot, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yeah. Because fundamental difference. Because quality is quality is caused by prevention, not inspection. and that, exactly. and that's the other thing that people fall down on. And, and that, well, I guess, and that's the whole thing. The audit has always been about the situation in reverse. What is Ron's phrase that he uses? Bayonet the wounded <laughs> after the <Yep>. battle, <laughs> coming in yeah, too late. Uh, too late. Well, we are up against our last break. I uh, want to remind our folks, and Chris, I'm going to pass you on to Ron for the rest of the show. So I want to say goodbye to you. Thanks for not for being on. I really appreciate that. But folks, we can get a hold of us by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the show notes are available on the soul of enterprise.com and as well as previews to upcoming shows. I'd like now to send you over to our sponsor and my employer and the new sponsor of Major League Baseball statistics, pitching statistics, Sage.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America Get the lowdown on guests, new shows and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
4: Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop!
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Chris Vanover from uh, Audit Club. And Chris, you're in the article, too. The Another thing I liked is you talked about the business model. And this kind of plays into the human capital crunch that the profession's going through. Um, But we haven't changed the business model. I I, I mean, I made a crack to a managing partner of a top 100 firm that the only difference between today and when I joined the profession, which was Pete Mark Mitchell, so Big 8, back in 1984, is some of your people stand at their desks and they have more monitors. (laughs) other than that the language you use the metrics you look at it's all the same it hasn't changed in just the 40 years i've been in the profession what's what's your explanation for that why don't we see more yeah, and, and okay. i'm talking about the big the top level firms not uh, there's lots of innovation at the small level what about that top level though
3: it's the incentive structure uh, ultimately, so I will say, you know, a lot of the lot of the big four firms have undoubtedly invested a ton of money. Now it's a relatively small fraction of their overall revenues, but it's still a ton of money in terms of the transformative technologies out there. What, what was really eye opening to me is when I pivoted to be an audit partner at a regional firm was how archaic things were being done at these local and regional firms, and we see it every single day in the work we do for these CPA firms. Is it's like a time warp? It literally is like going into a kitchen and everything is that, you know, all of green color, all of a sudden, and you're like, where are you guys? Right. And it's like, time has just stood still. And so I think the, 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 the incentive system is set up the wrong way because these partners that are in these traditional pyramid partner structures, they need an out. Right. And so they're not looking to go invest dollars in transforming for tomorrow's firm, because that will cut into their own retirement ultimately. So if you, unless you change the model of how these firms operate, there's always going to be that, you know, selfish disincentive to not invest in what the future needs from a technology or transformative perspective.
2: Yeah, so true. You, and, and plus, like you said, you know, before, with the $900,000 big four salary, hard to get millionaires to change their business model.
3: And that being said, nobody wants to be the partner at the helm. To say, Hey guys, actually this year, we're going to have a decrease in your partner income per share, right? No, one's going to, no, one's going to want to stand on that one. Right. So like I said, we've been doing some exciting things here at audit club. So again, this is a problem in our profession is you have, again, this retiring old guard changing of the guard that's happening right now. And you have these millenn- later millennials and early gen Zers that they don't want what our people wanted back in the day. Our dads and, and moms want it right? They want something different. And they understand access, they understand subscriptions, and they understand that a business can be run fundamentally in a different way.
2: Okay, Chris, I have some wonky questions for you. I'm just curious, did Peekaboo have any reservations about your business model?
3: So uh, again, we are registered with the PCAOB. But that being said, we don't issue our own audits, reviews or compilations. So we technically aren't subject to inspection at, the, at our firm level. Okay, That being said, there are times when we actually support CPA firms as an engagement quality control reviewer,
2: mm-hmm. and in
3: that situation, we were brought into an inspection from that perspective. But if I could go off a little bit on this, the PCOB, if you've read any of the headlines of late, and this is, again, a changing of the guard in the board of the PCOB over the past year, the chair has been very adamant about going after firms and really you see the fines, you see the sensors, and I'm not just talking about the EYs and the Deloitte's and the PWCs of the world. I'm talking about small mom and pop auditing firm. Now, I don't have a problem with weeding out bad actors, but we're in a talent crisis right now. And what are the unintended consequences of what this is doing? Because we're getting more calls from our CPA firms going, how do we get out of this PCOB space? Hmm. And that should not be happening, especially in a talent crisis. You've asked earlier during the break, you know, what percentage um, are doing audits or CPA firms these days? Employee benefit plan auditors, I was on webcast yesterday, the number has gone from like 80, don't quote me on this, like 8,500 firms down to 4,500 firms. Mm -hmm. The number of peer reviewers out there is obviously a a function of the fact that we have an aging demographic.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if you had to jump through any massive hurdles to get peekaboo approval what you're doing at audit club
3: you know i I think sometimes people don't even know what it is yet right and that's part of just being a disruptor in the space we've had trying to proactive discussions with the aicpa saying hey look we've got a really qualified team here that could probably do a really good job of supporting peer reviewers and they say well sorry guys you can't do it because you're not actually a peer because you don't issue your own audits reviews or compilations right great hang up the phone And let's not think about actual solutions to the problem.
2: And then let me ask you this. And again, this is wonky, but a a lot of firms object to getting rid of timesheets because they say, oh, well, we're peekaboo reviewed or we're peer reviewed and they require timesheets. Does peer review and (laughs) peekaboo require firms to have timesheets?
3: Ron, you're going to kick out of this because, again, we support CPA firms through their inspection process. And the PCAOB, and when I was at the PCAOB, I actually helped run the proprietary model identifying which issuers to actually go out and inspect. Um, but they had a whole data collection process. And I can't wait, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but I can't wait till they actually say, hey, we want to go inspect you guys, because they're going to ask for time records. And I'm gonna be like, I don't have any. Here's my solution scorecards, though, for every single day. And they'll be so far, they will not know what to do with themselves. I just, I'm waiting for that moment.
2: I I remember seeing an ad that one of our colleagues brought to us. I think it was from the wall street journal. Maybe the economist peekaboo was advertising for job. It's, you know, it's openings and said, Oh, and you don't have to do timesheets here. And I thought, what a great thing to slap on the table when peekaboo comes in or peer review comes in and says, you need timesheets. Well, they don't do them at peekaboo.
3: Is that true? Again, I spent, I spent a few years there. Um, I didn't, I was in, I was in the office of research and analysis, helping with the board strategic projects. You know, one of which was audit quality indicators. The other one was around looking at the business models of public accounting firms, which again, is a lot of the inspiration for what I'm doing today. So I'll give them credit for that. Um, I don't know if they're using time sheets these days or not, but it is, they do ask for that in data collection. They want to understand, you know, how many EQ, uh, engagement quality review hours were spent on an engagement, how many partner hours. And those are important things. But again, I think they're missing the boat because a lot of this stuff can be put into the input side. And let's look at the inputs. And they tried with audit quality indicators, they tried to put a concept release out there. The large firms, you know, with the lobbying efforts they have, basically said, no, no, we don't want the peekaboo in here managing this for us, we'll do it on our own. So you are seeing you know, the big four firms release quality reports with certain metrics in there. So there's been a change in the game, but audit committee members I don't think they're asking the right questions about who they're engaging with.
2: So what about the expectations gap on fraud? And we've only got a minute, but from what I understand, looking at the statistics, internal auditors find fraud more than external auditors do. Why do you think the public thinks that an audit means there's no fraud?
3: Uh, Well, part of it's the report itself, which finally has changed after about 70 years, a couple of years ago. Um, there has been a revamp of the PCOB opinion as well as the ICPA audit report. You know, there are things now called critical audit matters in the PCOB reports, and there's optionality to elect that for private companies with key audit matters, same concept. That's providing more insight, but a lot of it just happened. The, the report was a one, two page pass fail opinion that provided no insider perspective, right? So critical audit matters and, you know, um, key audit matters are a step in the right direction but I still don't think it's enough because I think people want more information about what the auditor is actually seeing and doing and what the responsibilities are.
2: I wish all the reports were like movie reviews with more subjectivity and what the auditor saw and what they have questions about still and all that. But Chris, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Ed, what's on store for next week? Thank next you week, Ron, we have
1: Dr. Jay Baruch. We're going to talk about his book, The Tornado of Life.
2: Awesome. Looking forward to it. See you in 167 hours.
1: This has been The Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, that's noon Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us on the web at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.